Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me today in our studio is my good friend, Lil Barron and co-pilot. How are you doing today? I'm so great. How about you? I'm doing great. It's been, it's been a good day so far. Yes, great day. Yeah, yeah. So last week, we, oh. had, a, we had a great... <laughs> Well, I we had a good show last we week. We did. Yeah, we that's did. what I'm referring to. I know you like did leg day twice, and so yeah. you're all sore and, and worn out. But we had a great uh, show last week with um, Mark Miller from yes. the Alzheimer's Association. Yes. We talked about Alzheimer's and dementia, and I thought he was great. In fact, oh. he, that ended a three-part series that we've done with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he just brings so much good information. He does. Things that we need to know about. Uh, for me, Alzheimer's and dementia is, is kind of a personal topic because both of my grandmothers passed oh. away with Alzheimer's. So yeah. anytime we talk about cognitive decline and brain health, like I'm always interested in that right. because you know I'm thinking about my parents and frankly, I'm thinking about myself. Right. And I'm just trying, I just, it's just something that catches my interest. So yeah. whenever we can have Mark on, it's always a good show. But uh, I thought we would continue that discussion just a little bit today okay. with some ideas of things that uh, we can do at 50 that will save our brains when we're 80, at least according to an article that I found on thehealthy.com. Okay. So they had a wide variety of things. I'm only going to focus on a couple of things. But first of all, I want to just kind of get this out of the way. I think a lot of us make the assumption that when we get older, as we get older, our brain function just declines and there's really nothing we can do about that. I I think that a lot of people feel that way, right? Well, research says that that's not true. So that's good news. That is for great us, news. Right? So the fact is, is that the brain continues to improve throughout our entire life, or at least it can continue to improve. Uh, there was a study that was featured in the journal. The journal is called Cell Colon Stem Cell. So they're really like di- okay. digging right down into <laughs> yes. the specifics there. But uh, that study revealed that neurons continue to form in the part of the brain where memories are processed, which is the mm-hmm. part that you know we're kind of talking about mm-hmm. right now. That happens in our 40s, it happens in our 50s, and it even can happen in our 90s. Wow. So the study says that the more regularly you engage in behaviors that are good for your brain, the more resilient your brain may be in the face of aging and disease. So that's hopeful. Yes. So what I want to do is just share a couple of the activities I that we should Netflix, be engaging in. But it's not <laughs> going to be, I'm sure. Uh, I went through all of them and I'm afraid Netflix did not make oh, that list. Darn it. But it made the last one. So <laughs> yes, you, it did. If you want to check out last week's uh, show, you can hear how Netflix <laughs> made our list there. Uh, these are some good ones, though, and, and again, very accessible and easy mm-hmm. for all of us to do if we'll just do well, Number one is to start moving. Oh. So people who started walking at 10,000, started walking 10,000 steps or more daily in midlife, they had younger brains about two and a half years on average than people who didn't exercise. Oh, wow. So that's according to research in JAMA Network Open. Plus, getting fit at this age helps guard against depression as mm-hmm. a senior, which is a big thing. Big. And uh, that's a study that they published in JAMA Psychiatry. And that occurs, all this good stuff occurs in part because exercise reduces inflammation and stimulates the release of chemicals that spur the growth of brain cells and blood vessels in our brain. So put on those walking shoes, get out there on the trail or on the road, wherever you want to walk, and just move. So. Nice. 10,000 steps. That's the goal that we're shooting for, right? Nice. Number two is get the greens. Okay. I know. Maybe that's not your favorite <laughs> thing, right? But yeah. listen to this. This one, 
this is really amazing okay. to me. Like two and a half years, I think is great. But listen to this. People who consume approximately one serving of leafy greens a day. So I know maybe that's not your favorite thing, but no. one serving a day is doable. So a salad. Yeah. Well, but it needs, it needs to be the, yeah, leafy greens. Leafy greens. Um, iceberg lettuce maybe no. isn't the best, but if you're getting your spinach or right. your kale, cognitively they found those people are 11 years <gasps> younger than those who don't eat their leafy greens. Oh 11 years, which is huge. Huge. So researchers believe lutein, which is a pigment found in kale and spinach could be the reason. An earlier report published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience found that lutein helps beef up gray matter in the part of the brain associated with memory. So that's pretty cool. Here's that the is. other thing that's really cool about this. The brain stockpiles lutein. And since it stockpiles lutein over your lifespan, the more you eat over a longer period of time, the more your brain benefits from wow. that. So get those greens in there. Yes. That's maybe not your favorite thing, but 11, 11 years younger. years. I could be 29 again. Sing well, <laughs> you're already only 29. <laughs> the last one really quickly is uh, they recommend that you play Sudoku or do a crossword puzzle. I started doing uh, did that. You, okay. So now you've heard that. I think yes. you've been hearing that. Both of these games seem to keep our minds significantly sharper. That's according to two recent reports in the International Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. They huh. found that people who engage in these types of brain games have the problem-solving skills and short-term memory of individuals who are about eight years younger. So wow. again, those are significant games. Yeah. So pull out those crossword puzzles, get out that Sudoku, uh, whatever it takes to uh, engage your brain in those type of games. Um, there's a few other things that we can yeah. do, including control your blood pressure, get enough sleep, avoid processed foods, stay socially engaged is a big one. We know that that's an yes. important one. Uh, I'll share the article in the show notes so you can dig okay. a little bit deeper into it That's if you'd a great like idea. to. But today I want to get to our guest. I know. I'm so excited. Marianne Hamilton. Marianne is not only a good friend to the mm -hmm. Huntsman World Senior Games, which she is, but she's just plain a good friend. Plain she's just a good wonderful, friend. wonderful person. <laughs> she's our director of race walking and power walking at the Games, two sports at which she excels as an athlete. She's an accomplished writer. She was recently crowned Miss Senior Italy yes. Universe. And uh, she's a regular on the show, and the list goes on and on and on. Marianne, what a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, by the way, congratulations to you and your team for being awarded Best of Southern Utah today. Did you know about this? I did know about that. Thank okay. you very much. We I was so thrilled to that today. Yeah, we won the award for being the best place to volunteer in oh, Southern Utah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, we haven't we haven't announced that to the staff yet, but oh. I've been following the progress. I knew today was the day that they announced it, and we'll be oh, sorry, right. Okay, release and uh, a few things later on. So thank you very that, much. I yeah, appreciate that. that's awesome. I, I, I can attest that the games are an excellent, excellent place to volunteer, and will bring joy to anybody who considers. Uh, contributing their time and energy for sure. Well, you have certainly been one of those valuable volunteers over the years. But in addition to that, you've been an athlete at the games. <laughs> and I want to start off our conversation, Marianne, with that concept of your journey to being an athlete. Because I know that you haven't always considered yourself an athlete. Oh, by no means. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Uh, throughout my entire, you know, formative years, I was, I was the perennial goober and, you know, acne glasses, uh, read a whole lot of books, never did anything in physical, in the physical realm at all. And was always the last person picked for any team in, in school. Like, oh my God, we have to have Marianne. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're going to lose. Um, and I just never thought of myself that way and, and really focused more on, you know, I guess academics. And then well, there's uh, nothing wrong with that. Like, well, it wasn't, really, yeah, but no, I just, I, it never occurred to me that I could do yeah. anything physical at all. And I just thought that was my lot in life, you know. Um, and I guess in my 40s, uh, I was living in California at that time before moving to St. George. And uh, the running phase really was gripping the nation. And I started sort of jogging tentatively and um, thought, well, this is, you know, I, I can do this. I wasn't very fast and I didn't go very far, but I, you know, I also didn't pass out or fall down. And that was, that was <laughs> that's so a win. Okay. <laughs> a total win for me, for sure. Um, and so I did that for a number of years and, and fast forward, then I got into weightlifting and I um, got very obsessive about that because it, in, in my case, it really made a lot of difference very, very quickly. And I could see results very, very quickly in my body. Yeah. And I got a little bit uh, carried away. Overdid it it just a little (laughs) bit. Just a little bit. And I was going pretty obsessively. So I ended up tearing a a disc out of my neck, um, one of my cervical discs, and had a fusion. And uh, was told, no more running and no more weightlifting. And I didn't know what to do with myself because, oh, also, I had been pretty overweight my entire life. Um, I weighed about 150 pounds when I graduated from high school and I'm not quite five foot two. So that was, you know, <laughs> I was rotund anyway. Um, uh, Husky. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of at a loss for what to do because I yeah. felt like I finally, you know, was getting a hold of my weight and controlling that and feeling good about myself. And then to be told that I couldn't do these two things that were, so central to my life was really, really devastating. So anyway, long story short, when I was uh, rehabbing after my neck surgery, I just started walking. And uh, then I started walking a little faster. (laughs) And then I started walking a lot faster. And uh, about six or eight months after that surgery, I did my first um, marathon with uh, some lady friends who were just walking it in walking the Honolulu Marathon. And after that, I was totally hooked. And started uh, walking a a whole lot. And one of the ladies that I'd done the marathon with and I continued racing and and we were finishing, coming across the finish line one day and somebody said, oh, do you train with so-and-so? And I said, well, no, who is he? And he said, well, he's the race walking coach in Santa Cruz. And I said, well, what's race walking? (laughs) He said, well, that's what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing it. I said, oh, okay. I uh, didn't, didn't have any clues. So anyway, I went home and researched that and, and connected with this gentleman who was the track coach for the Santa Cruz uh, Race Walking Club and uh, started training with him. And over the years, I connected with a couple of Olympic race walkers and they've kind of coached me. And uh, it's become a really, really huge part of my life. I will never be you know, world-class, but it's, it's fun to have something that I can do that keeps me fit and healthy and and makes me feel like um, like an athlete. I never ever thought of myself as an athlete until all of that happened, and it's it's been a really joyful transition for sure. Yeah, and, and it's it's a I know for you it's been a wonderful way for you to connect with people and make friends, uh, really literally all around the world, which is awesome. Especially at the Husband World Senior Games, um, my husband and I have been competing now. This will be our eleventh year, I think. And, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, it's just to connect with folks who are of a like mind that share this passion for this kind of crazy sport um, has been a really just, it's so endearing and it's, it just brings us such huge joy. 
Mm. And it's lovely to have uh, connections, like you said, literally all over the world. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an amazing journey, an amazing story. And I think if, if anything, we learned from that, that it's never too late right. and that there's, you know, there's an athlete in all of us, whatever that is, just find the thing that works for you and then stick with it just yeah. as Marianne has done. I want to shift gears just a little bit uh, from one journey to another journey. <laughs> you, uh, you've recently kind of been set on a different path all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, for sure. Tell for us sure. a little bit about that. Well, um, in February, uh, it's interesting. Um, February 6th was the day that, um, it's the anniversary of the date that my husband and I moved to St. George from Northern California. Uh-huh. And so we always go out every night, every year on that date and celebrate this wonderful event in our life coming to this place that we love so much. And we're sitting in a lovely restaurant downtown and saying, oh, our life is wonderful. It couldn't be any better and blah, 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 blah. And um, that was absolutely, you know, what we were feeling at the time. And the next day I had a mammogram, and, which I do every year. And that led to an ultrasound which led to a lot of whispering with all the technicians and, you know, another ultrasound and then the technician coming in and saying, well, we're going to need a biopsy here. And that was on a Friday. And I had the biopsy about a week later. And, and the next day I found out that I had breast cancer, which wasn't, you know, rocks, what I rocks was. your world. Yeah. That's not <laughs> yeah. what, you, that's not what you're trying to ha- have happen to you. Yeah, I, I, I knew that I had a cyst in my right breast that had been being watched for a number of years and, I'm pretty diligent about having mammograms because there's a lot of cancer in my family. And each year when they'd find the cyst, they'd say, Oh, it's just a cyst. And I'd say, well, you know, should we have it removed? Should it be aspirated? Can we have, should I have it taken out? And I would always be told, Oh no, no, don't, don't worry about it. It's just a cyst. And last fall I had felt that it had, it had changed. It, it felt um, harder and, and it was more painful. And I called um, to see if I could get in, you know, for an exam. And they said, oh, well, really, it hasn't been a year yet since your last mammogram. So Medicare won't pay for it, which is Medicare. My husband and I are on that, on that of course. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And um, it was supposed to be in January of this year would have been one year. But in December, I had that horrible flu that everybody else had. So I didn't get around to calling to make the appointment. So I didn't get in until February. And um, maybe if I had been you know, more of an advocate for myself, I would have found out earlier. Um, I think that's something I really wanted to convey to people that if you feel something is wrong, you know, your body, make sure you get in and get it, get it taken care of when you feel it. You, you used a phrase that I think is so important for all of us to remember, and that is to be an advocate for yourself. Absolutely. And, um, sometimes that's hard to do, you know, because going to the doctor can be a little intimidating and you know, he or she is the expert. And sometimes it's, it's hard to do that, but your experience has shown and, and so many other mm-hmm. people have uh, experienced that you just need to advocate for yourself. That doesn't mean you're, you're rude or, no. you know, or, or anything like that, but you just, you need to advocate for yourself. And if you feel that something is not right, then it, you, you owe it to yourself. It's, and it's worth the time and effort to get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. And, and I, my husband and I are in a position that we could have paid for, you know, whatever exam was necessary, a mammogram. And I should have, I should probably have pushed harder. Um, but I, you know, you sort of assume that the doctors know what they're saying or that there's sure. a system in place or whatever, and could have, should have, would have in hindsight now. And, you know, the reality is that um, as soon as, uh, as soon as we got in and they, they figured it out very quickly and, and I was taken care of immediately. So that all was, that all was fine. And, um, fortunately, it was very, very early stage. Um, it was stage one, 
and after I had uh, the initial consultation with the doctors and, and the whole medical team, they said, you know, you're not going to need a mastectomy. You're not going to need chemotherapy. Um, this can all be taken care of quite um, well with a lumpectomy and some radiation. And, and never, ever, ever was I told anything except you're going to be just fine. You know, it's, it's going to be very, very treatable. So that was all super encouraging from the very get-go. And I know that you feel like you got a, a late jump on it, but in all reality, you, you did catch it early. Yeah. And it was yeah. because of your diligence and your, your scheduled mammograms. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just knew, you knew that you needed to take care of yourself. You had some family history and things like that. And those are things that I think, again, we can all learn from and all be aware of, regardless of what the situation is, cancer or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your case, that's what it was. Uh, but a very powerful and important lesson, I think, for all of us, especially those who are really working hard and trying to live mm-hmm. the active life that, mm-hmm. that we're trying to advocate. I think, yeah. especially being an athlete, um, I, I know what feels right with my body and when something's wrong. And it's that old, you know, if you see something, say something. Well, if you feel something, say something as well. And, yeah. and I, you know, my doctor will tell you he never, ever sees me except when I go into my annual physical. And for me to say, I think something's wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. They, um, that was worth paying attention to. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I I can't stress strongly enough that we all have to take care of ourselves for sure. Absolutely. Now I, I, uh, you know, we've been friends for a while and, and I was on the short list of people that you notified at the beginning. And I, I appreciate that love and that care Mm -hmm. and our friendship. Uh, but because of that, I was made, uh, that I was made aware of, I, I kind of followed along and was, you know, peripherally, uh, involved, I guess, to some degree in, in your, your treatment and, and things like that. Um, you stayed active during the whole time. You didn't, you didn't just say, okay, I'm going to have this treatment and therefore I'm ducking out of responsibilities and health and wellness. You, you stayed active. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to. And I, but before I do that, I want to preface this with a big, huge asterisk, which was I did have you know, a very early stage non-aggressive breast cancer and everybody's cancer is different and not everybody is going to be able to do exactly what I did. Yeah. I was very fortunate that I, um, you know, wasn't going through chemotherapy. I wasn't going through really horrible, you know, treatments and, and, and a really surgery that could have been much, much more debilitating. Mine was relatively um, pretty simple and the recovery was pretty simple. But having said all that, um, I'm sort of made a a pact with myself early on that I was going to be as active as I possibly could for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the biggest thing um, is that going through cancer treatment is is nothing but having to trust other people and and give up control because they will tell you, you're going to have this procedure, you're going to have to be here, you have to be at this appointment and blah, 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 blah. And being able to stay active when you're not going through all of those appointments and, and treatments is the one thing you have control over still. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me who tends to be a little type A at times, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a surprise to you guys. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a completely foreign concept. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was pretty hard to yield control all that yeah. time for a period of months. So just being able to put my shoes on every day and go out and hit the trail, no matter how I was feeling, was a real, real um, moral victory for me. And I had been told at the outset of my treatment that um, because I'm pretty healthy and active that I probably would have, you know, an easier time than somebody who's home being a couch potato. And I kept that with me all the way through. And and my um, radiation oncologist was just 
blown away each week. We'd have a meeting on Monday after my treatment. And uh, he would ask how I was feeling, what I was doing. And I'd say, oh, I, you know, I did 10 miles yesterday or I did five miles, you know, this morning or whatever. And, and he was just, you know, very, very, very um, surprised, but very happy about that. And he said, this is exactly what you should be doing. This is, this is going to get you through this in, in great shape. And so that's what I did. And um, I also decided that I wasn't going to have it be a sad um, occasion. Um, every day I wore a different sparkly running skirt. Yes, he did. <laughs> I followed that. I had little peel off numbers <laughs> on my arm that showed how many treatments I had left. And I you know, have a different one every day. And I just tried to make it as um, not festive, but as, as manageable and, and upbeat as possible. And I think, that was a, a, a good thing as well. Um, it's hard to walk to see a building that says cancer center on right. that and then realize that's where you have to go. Yeah. Um, the very first day we pulled into the parking lot, I just, I had a complete meltdown and yeah. I didn't believe this was, you know, this was where I was having to be, but got over it very quickly. The people at the um, Intermountain Healthcare Cancer Center are just absolutely extraordinary. And the, the care that I received was just off the charts, wonderful. You, you, um, you received great care, and I think that as much as anything, you had a great attitude and a great approach. Right. Uh, Mark Middleton, who is the founder of an organization called Growing Boulder, he talks about the concept of prehabilitation. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about rehab, mm-hmm. uh, and you know how important that can be as we're recovering. He talks about prehab, and I feel like if there was an example of anybody that I'm aware of who has prehabbed themselves, <laughs> uh, it would be Marianne Hamilton. Agreed. Like you've you've Agreed. definitely stayed active and you've, you've taken a, an active role in your health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that that you know, resulted in a great outcome for you in a very heart-wrenching situation. Yeah. Thank you. I think, you know, maybe part of it's just being in complete denial. But <laughs> A little bit of uh, naivety sometimes can go a long ways as well. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to say is that um, a couple of friends have questioned my decision to kind of go public with this and, and post on Facebook and stuff. And, and I totally get it that I've had other friends that have chosen to go down their journey very, very privately. And, and I fully appreciate and respect that. Um, I had a couple of reasons for doing this. Um, first of all, uh, last year, one of our city council members, Michelle Randall, was diagnosed mm-hmm. with breast cancer, and she was very public about posting and saying this is what's going on. And the community was incredibly supportive, and and she came out of it, you know, beautifully as as anticipated. And so that was um, to me a, a wonderful role model. Um, and also, I think women of my age, um, the boomer set, um, the word cancer is just riddled with all kinds of horrendous connotations Mm -hmm. it's Um, scary it was very it is very scary and and in our mothers in our generation breast cancer often was a death sentence and it wasn't something that you ever wanted to hear you know and um i really want people to know that again the asterisk mine was very early stage and and manageable but it can be something you can get through you can manage yourself through it and if you do what you're supposed to do you're going to come out the other end and it's it's a significant bump in the road, but it's just not, you know, it's not. One you can get over. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, and I think being just the role model that you were, you know, to all of us as we watched this, um, you know, being diligent and getting all of the things that, you know, your pre, you know, mammograms mm-hmm. and all that, 
that just tells us do that and you could catch it early if you get it. Absolutely. I really believe want to be an advocate. I've been telling all of my friends now, you know, if you, again, if you see something or feel something, say something, take care of the girls for sure. Right. Marianne, right. that's awesome. Great example. Great story. Thank you uh, for sharing it. Uh, I, I think that, you know, people that, uh, that know you and know your journey will have an opportunity to learn from it and, right. and hopefully uh, it'll pay off in the long run for them. That's all the time that we have for you, unfortunately, today, but uh, we'll have you back again yes, sometime. We will. Yeah. Anytime. Just give me a holler. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Lil. Mm-hmm. So, Lil. Yes. Registration. Still open. It's still open for the Huntsman World Senior <laughs> Games. We're planning on holding the event in October. If you're 50 years of age or older, you qualify. We're, of course, keeping our eye on the situation mm-hmm. and doing the best that we can to put together a plan that will be safe for everyone to compete. We encourage you to hit up SeniorGames.net for registration information as well as the latest information on our response to COVID-19. The dates of the 2020 Games are October 5th through the 17th. If you have any feedback for us about the show, please shoot us an email at ActiveLife at SeniorGames.net. Remember to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We take this live show, we turn it into a podcast, and you can subscribe to that podcast pretty much anywhere the podcasts are found. Uh, Please take a listen to that. If you're listening by podcast, give us a rating, write a review. You can find this as well as previous shows right on our website at seniorgames.net, so check that out as well. Today's inspirational thought. Oh, good. You ready? Mm -hmm. Don't stop until you're proud. Until next Thursday, stay active.